Our scripture text this morning is John 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have um, given it to us so freely. Help us to love your word and being in your word more and more every day. Please speak through Clyde this morning. Teach us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning and welcome. Uh, it is so good to be here with you all this morning. And uh, we're excited about everything that is happening here and the launch of Anthem Church. So many of our close friends over the past few years that we have come to know and, and to love are involved in this, uh, this church plant, and so we are, we are so excited, and we are with you in heart and spirit, even if we can't be here on a, um, on a regular basis with you in, uh, in the body. We're here with you in, in spirit, and we bless you, and we pray God's blessings upon you as you, as you launch, as you seek to reach this community and this town and the surrounding area with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we, uh, we, we pray our blessings upon you. I'm excited about this uh, sermon series. As, uh, as Rick called me up and we, we talked about what, uh, what he, was, uh, he and Brent were kind of thinking and, and looking forward uh, towards and uh, the whole idea of, of freedom and, and talking about our freedom and how that connects to the disciplines of, uh, of walking with the, with the Lord, the Christian disciplines. And I get the privilege of talking to you on the topic of reading God's Word and spending time in God's Word. And I, I got to uh, admit, I was a little bit surprised. Most of the time, given my background and, and what I do, I get asked to talk about two things, missions or evangelism. And so I love talking about those topics, and, uh, and I'll, that's usually what I get, uh, get to speak on. And, and then the, the curveball was when Rick says, you'll be the second message on spending time in God's Word. Because if you know Rick, and if you listened, if you were here last Sunday and you heard his, heard his he is passionate about the Word of God. I mean, that's the one thing that you know if you spend any time around him, he is passionate about the Word of God. And I was like, he's going to give me one of those sermons to let me, let me take that, and he's not going to take that, keep that one for himself. So I am honored to, to be here with you and to, to speak on this topic. And so freedom, as we, as we look at and talk about freedom, what does it mean to be free? There is, uh, you know, some thoughts came to mind and a couple of, a couple of passages. In Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Okay, so, so it's in there. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 1 Peter 2.16 says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as living as, as servants of God. So with freedom... There is a, uh, a, an understanding that we are being freed from something, right? And so you, you can't be freed unless you've been in bondage, unless you've been in, enchained, enslaved, uh, locked up in, in some way. And so, that, so when we talk about freedom and Christian freedom, what does that mean and what is the thing that we have been freed from? We all, every one of us, 
that takes breath in this world as a human being enters into this world under the bondage of sin. Okay? We enter in under the, the bondage of, of sin. That, that means that we are separated from God. We are spiritually dead. There is nothing that we can do to please God, to, to, to make ourselves um, look good to God because we, we, have, we, we have this sin curse that is upon us. Even our best behaviors apart from Christ, are rooted in selfishness, self-aggrandizement, self-service, so that, so that they're, they're not honoring God, but they're about puffing us up and saying, look, I, I did this. I helped the old lady across the street. I gave a million dollars to X. I did this. I went ar- around the world and built a children's hospital. We, we do those things to, to measure up, and this is really the root of man-made religion is, is trying to approve ourselves to God and to show ourselves worthy to God. This is the heart of sin, that even our attempts to be righteous are rooted in, in our selfishness. If you don't know Christ today as your Savior, this is still true of you, and, and you'll know it if you really begin to look at your, at your life and, and at the motives behind the things. Outwardly, people might say, oh, she's such a great person. He is so kind. He is so generous, but inwardly, you'll know that, man, when I, when I do that, when I, when I said what I said, when I did what I did, it was really about me. It wasn't about loving them or honoring God with that attitude or, or action. But once we accept Christ, once we accept his free payment for our sin and that, that he is freely given that, that gift that we can come to, to know him and come into his presence, once we accept his, his payment on the cross for our sin— we are set free from sin, okay? We are set free from sin. And this being set free from sin has, has three distinct parts. The Bible talks about that we, we are set free from sin, we are being set free from sin, and we will be set free from sin. And so you're like, are we, wait, this is this the English class? What are we doing here? Like, you know, uh, what, what tense is the, the verb and what participle? All right, so we, are, we have been set free from sin we're, we have been set free from the penalty and bondage to sin. See, before we come to Christ, we don't have a choice to do anything but sin. Everything that, that we do will be rooted in ourself and will be, therefore, sin. And so when we accept Christ and his payment for our sin, then we are freed from the, the jail cell. The, the doors are, are open. We are free. And we now have the freedom to follow Christ we also have the, the freedom to return back to the jail cell and to continue, continue to sin. So now there's a choice. Before we came to Christ, there was no choice, sin, sin, sin. It was just kind of like a, a switch that's stuck on, on, on all the time. You, that's what you're going to do all the time is, is sin. Now that we have come to Christ, we have the two opportunities, one to sin, one to follow Christ and to walk with him. So we have been set free. We are being set free from the power of sin. Day by day, moment by moment, God is setting us free from the power of, of sin. Through, through the power of his Holy Spirit, through, through his work of sanctification in our life, he is, if we are a follower of Christ, he is making us more like Christ. The more that we walk after Christ, the more we are made like Christ. And so he is doing that in our life. And it is in the moments when we recognize sin when God brings to light in our life sin, and he will always bring to life sin in specifics. He will not deal in, in generalities, like, you're just such a, a bad person. No, he will say, when you lied to your sister, this was a sin. You need to confess that. You need to forsake that. When you saw that billboard and you had that lustful thought, that was a sin. You need to confess that. You need to forsake that. You need to turn from that. And it is in those moments, sometimes as, as Christians, and I know I've, I've felt this many times, we, we can get so beat down, like, oh, sin again. But it, it is really a, a grace to us that in those moments, that is when we experience the salvation of Christ day by day, moment by moment. We experience his grace in those moments when we confess our sin. 
right? So Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, but I experience his payment for my sin day by day, moment by moment, as he is bringing about this freedom from the power of sin, that I'm not locked into that, that I can choose to repent and turn and follow him. And then we are being set free from the presence of, uh, we will be set free from the presence of sin. In the future, for those of us that are believers, we will be taken to be with God, and in his presence there can be no sin, and we will be there in a holy heaven with him. And so we'll be f- set free from the presence of sin. Now, now that we have been freed, we have that choice, as I said, to obey God or to disobey him, to do one or, or the other. And before we had no choice, now we have options. So God has freed us, and he has freed us for a purpose, okay? In, in Galatians 5.1, he said, for freedom, Christ has set us free, all right? He set you free for freedom so that you would be free, and that freedom is that we would enjoy him and all that he has for us, that we would enjoy all the treasures of his limitless glory for eternity in a loving relationship with him, all right? A lot of folks think about Christianity as a list of do's and don'ts, all right? Don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, you got to do, don't do all those things, do all of these things, be in, be in church, do, you know, serve, you got to, you know, be a, be a Sunday school, you got to be the Sunday school teacher, you got to be the deacon, you got to do all those things to be a good Christian, right? That's the, that's the, the, the outward perception. In reality, Christianity is about a relationship. It's about a relationship with God. It's not doing all of these things so that we are approved to God and we show up with, here's my checklist and I've, I've done all of the things. That's man-made religion. God says, I come, I do all the things to rescue you from your bondage where you couldn't do any of them in the right way. I've come to rescue you, to bring you into relationship with me so that we can experience one another and you can enjoy all of, of my glory and my splendor and, and everything that you were made for throughout eternity. And that is what God has, has created us for. He created us to enjoy him. The spiritual disciplines, giving, prayer, fasting, reading God's word, evangelism, etc., those are gifts from God to help us to experience more of him. They are, they are given to us to help us experience more of who he is, to know him, and, and to walk in that relationship with him. Now, how many of you, when you hear the word discipline, it's like, that's, uh, I, don't, I don't like the, the word discipline. It just sounds, sounds bad. It sounds like uh, drudgery, it, you know, would, would be a, a synonym for the way we think about a discipline. But a, a discipline, here's what I want you to think. Discipline has the same root as disciple, okay? And so a, a disciple is a follower, all right? The 12 disciples were followers of Jesus, and Jesus told them in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all the nations. And so what he was saying is, You've been following me. Teach other people to follow after me, too, in the same way. The disciplines are what a follower does, what a disciple does when they follow their master. In in Jewish um, society and and, and tradition, uh, a disciple would follow a rabbi, and they would would walk where they walked. They would do everything, and, and sometimes they would even start to walk with a limp, just like their old rabbi just because I'm going to do everything that, that he does. And so if he walks around this rock, I'm going to go around the bottom side instead of the top side. I'm, I'm not going to just take my own path. I'm going to follow after the master. And so the disciplines are the things, really, that we see Jesus do in Scripture. We see him praying. We see him fasting. We see him spending time in the Word. We see him meditating on, on Scripture. We see him telling the good news of the kingdom to others. And so that is what we as disciples we do the disciplines to follow the master. They're, they're not a, a drudgery, but, but they are a joy. They are a gift from God as we walk along behind Christ. All right, so as I, as I mentioned, though, we are being set free from the power of sin, but we, we haven't been completely, sin has not been eradicated in, in our lives. We haven't been cauterized to, to sin so that, so that sin can't come up in our, in our lives. And, and so as a believer, I still sin. As a believer, you still sin too. And we can return, I can return to a life of sin through either license, which is willful disobedience to, to God. So I'm saying, oh, God, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do 
do this and totally kind of go off on, on my own. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to willfully lie. I'm going to willfully entertain this lustful thought. I'm going to willfully do um, whatever. Or on the other side is legalism, trying to earn God's approval th- by my own works. All right? Both of those are sin. All right? So if, if I'm, I'm willfully being disobedient, that is sin. That's usually where we categorize sin. But trying to approve myself to God by my own works, by my own ability, is, is sin. It's just as sinful. It's just as bad. It's just as wrong. And it needs to be confessed and, and forsaken just as much. But where this comes into the disciplines is that through, through legalism, through trying to, to live up to a standard that I, I create or somebody else outside me creates, I can put the cart before the horse and I make the disciplines about living up to, to a standard, about showing myself to God and earning his, his love, okay? God gave his love as a free gift. For something to be a gift, it can't be earned, correct? Okay? If, if it's a gift, you can't do anything to earn it. If you do something to earn it, it no longer is a gift. That's the definition of a gift. All right? So, so God has, has given us these things as a, as a gift to help us to grow in Christ, not as a list of, of do's and don'ts to show ourselves uh, approved to, to God or to earn his favor and love. So as we look at uh, John 15 this morning, we want to put the discipline of reading God's word into its proper context of experience of the experience of a loving relationship to God. All right, so if you've got your Bible, open up John 15, and uh, and so we'll we'll jump right in there. And there are a couple of things as we as we look at this text. Two big kind of kind of themes and words that are repeated here in the text. One is vine, and the other is abide. Okay, and so he's he's talking about and Jesus says. I am the true vine. So here he is, he is calling for some Old Testament imagery where the nation of Israel is talked about as a vine that is planted. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the real vine. And, and, he's, and he's, he's saying that, like, that I'm the one that you got to be connected to. I am the one who has the real source of life. And then he goes on and says, the father is the vine dresser. Okay, the father is the vine dresser. The father is the one who takes care of the vine, who, uh, who prunes and who grafts in to the vine. All right? So he is the one who, who cares for, who fertilizes the, the vine and, and makes sure that it is growing properly and, and does what needs to be done. The only way to get to be a part of the true vine is to be grafted in by the vine dresser. All right? You can't, you can't get in on your own self or your own merit. You have to be brought in by God himself. He has to make you a part of the true vine in order to be, uh, to be there. He has to take you from being spiritually dead to being made spiritually alive in Christ, where the life force, where the sap of the vine flows through you. All right? So that is something that, that has to happen and that only God can, can do in our, in our lives. He's the one that, that, that brings that about. Now the, the word abide here, Jesus says several, several times, abide in me, abide in me there. And that, that word, we don't use it a whole lot, all right? When's the last time you used abide in a sentence? You know, can you use it in a sentence that's not, you know, written there in the, in the Bible? All right, but it, what, what abide means, the, the, the noun form of abide is a verb. The noun form of abide is the word abode, all right? And so we might use that. If you have some folks come over to your house, you might say, welcome to my humble abode, all right? That means welcome to my home. Welcome to the place where I live. This, this, is, this is my house. This is, this, is, this is my crib. This is where I'm going to, where I live, live out my life right here in, in my home. And so when Jesus says, abide in me, what does he mean? Make your home in me. Make me be your, your source of life. Make me be the place where you're, you're comfortable, where you're okay just sitting around in your PJs, where you're real, where you're open and honest. Abide in me. Don't feel like you gotta, you gotta put on airs here. Let me be your home and and 
make me a place that, that, is, your, that is home for, for Jesus. So he says, he says, you abide in me and let me abide in you here, all right? So, so in, in that vine analogy, it's, it's being grafted into the, to the vine and the vine, the, the life force of the vine is flowing throughout the, uh, throughout the branch as well, all right? So it's wintertime. And vines aren't doing that great these days. But pine trees look really good these days. And so, uh, so I brought in a couple of, a couple of branches from out of, out of my backyard, all right? And, and one here is, is very green and, and lush and vibrant. Not so much, all right? So what's, what's true? This one looks very good, Right? Right? It's, it's got, that, got that life sap that's, that's flowing through it. This one is dead. It's brittle. It's breaking apart. <laughs> put, put Rick's eye out there. So, so it, it's, th- there's, there's a difference that, that's here, right? Do you expect any pine cones to come off this branch? No. No, it's, it's, it's dead. It's not going to bear any fruit. All right? Do you expect some to come from this one, though? Yeah, you could expect some to come from this one. You might expect that, right? So, so they're, 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 they're different. Which one do you want to be true of your life? Do you want to be uh, a branch that is, that is dry and, and brittle, that's ready for the, for the heat, or one that has life that is in it? All right? Now, I, I, I do this, but, but in, in reality, the truth is that this branch right here broke off in the ice storm a couple of weeks ago and was laying in my backyard, all right? It hasn't been connected to a tree in two weeks, okay? It looks good, right? All right? As, as Christians, we can fake it. We can try in our own power. We can, ah, I know I need to read my Bible. I know I need to pray. I know I need to do this. I know I need to go to church. I know I need to do X, Y, Z. So, so we do it, but we do it without any input from the vine. We do it without any input from the Savior. We do it without his life flowing through us, and it's sin just the same. And this one's never going to produce any fruit any more than this one will. All right? They're, they're, they're in the same condition. The only hope for this one is what? Grafted back into the vine, grafted back into the tree. And so if I were, uh, were a horticulturalist and I knew everything, like my uh, sister-in-law, and could go back and you know, cut off a limb and, and put this one back in, it has the potential, the possibility, maybe it's not too late for it to be put back in. We as believers can go a long time faking it and making it look right and trying to, to do all the things, but we've got the cart before the horse. We're trying to earn God's favor rather, rather than resting in the fact that we have already earned, we, we haven't done anything to earn. He's freely given his favor, and we can allow his life to flow out of us. This is not Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. You might think that. I wanted to bring the Griswold's Christmas tree, but that was going to be a little bit much at 10 o'clock last night digging out of, the, out of the ground. But this one, all right, these branches are small, but they are connected. They are connected to the tree. They, they get their source of nutrients and life from the tree. And this little bitty tree has the potential to, to shade an acre of land in, in the future if it's planted in the, in the right conditions, if it's given the nutrients and everything that it, that it needs. Now, do you ever see a, 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 a branch on an apple tree or a branch on a grapevine trying to, to squeeze out fruit? No, it just naturally happens. It happens as a part of abiding in the vine, all right? Jesus calls us to abide in him, to allow his life to flow through us. The Christian life is not about what you do for God, but what God does in your life, what, he, what you allow him to do. And to the extent that we submit and, and, and confess our sin and walk and follow in the steps of Christ, then he is able to reproduce the life of Christ with, within us. So he... 
he calls us to, to do that. And then here, you're, you're probably like, all right, where are you getting to, um, to spending time in the Word? So, so this relationship, this one of, of abiding, how do we abide? And then in, um, in verse 7, uh, I think I might have that right. Let's see. Um, yeah, so if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. All right. If you abide in me, and he doesn't say if I abide in you, he says if my words abide in you, which is, is really who he is. In the first chapter of John, we see that Jesus is talked about as the word. And in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is the word. And so he says, if my words abide in you, all right? So, so through God's word is, is how we abide in him, is how we allow him to abide in us. We, spending time in God's word is how we connect with God and how we experience a relationship with him. Now, if you've, uh, you know, ever, ever dated, you're married, whatever, if you don't spend time with someone, you can't, you can't know them. You can't experience them. If you don't hear them, and Jen and I have often have, have times where she's like, are you listening to me? And often I'm not. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> we'll preach the truth up here. So, so but if, if, I'm, if I never, never listen, then are we really in relationship? If I never take time to, to spend time with her, are we really in relationship? And so, in the same, the same thing with, with us in God's word, we need to allow his word to be in us. He, he wants us to experience him through his word to, to allow the life-giving force of his word to be in us. I want to give you seven truths about God's word, seven, seven things that God's word says about itself that, uh, that, that are true. The first one is found in Ephesians uh, verse six, chapter 6, verse 17. Um, it says, that, um, it, it talks about God's word as being the sword of the spirit, it says the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And in this passage, Paul is talking through spiritual armor, things that, that, that we need to protect us from, from evil, from, you know, as we walk with the Lord, the, what we need to, to have in our lives. And so here he, he says, you know, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The thing to, to note is that the only offensive weapon that is mentioned in this list of armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is your, your Bible. Now, oftentimes, you know, and some churches will be like, I got my sword, I got, you know, I got my sword here. But it's not your sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's sword to be used in your life, for Him to, to use. And as we spend time in God's Word, we are fortifying, we're giving the Spirit the ammunition, we're giving him the sword to be used in our life as he sees fit and, and as he wants to work. The second truth is that it produces faith. Romans 10 verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, all right? So the, the word of Christ used by the Holy Spirit produces faith in our, in our lives. It, it brings faith. The third point, it, it makes us wise for salvation. Second Timothy three, fourteen through seventeen. Uh, it says, "But as for you, continue in what you have learned, uh, and, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete." equipped for every good work. So it, the, the scripture, God's word, is able to make us wise to salvation. It, it brings about salvation. And sometimes people think, well, I, I just worship God in, in nature, and I just worship, I just love to, to go out and, and sit on, in my boat on, on Harris Lake, and I, I just worship God out there better than I, than I can, you know, sitting at home reading my Bible. But really, you can't know the revealed God 
apart from his word. It's through his word that, that we are, are made wise for salvation. And uh, the fourth point, it bears the authority of God for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training. All scripture is God-breathed. And everywhere in scripture, it's, it's profitable. Everywhere in, in scripture, there is something there that God can use in your life to, to transform you, to, to recreate you, to make you into the person that he created you to be. All of scripture is God-breathed, okay? There's not, any, there's not any throwaway chapters. There's not any throwaway verses in there. Everything that, that you've got handed down to you is, is God-breathed, and it, and it bears God's authority on it. The fifth point, it gives clarity. Psalm 119, uh, verse 130, says, the, uh, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Okay, a lot of us we don't like to think of ourselves as simpletons, but we <laughs> we really are, and we need God's uh, understanding. The unfolding of His words gives light. We are sinful, okay, and we we still, even though we have been set free from the bondage of sin, we still bear the the taint of sin, and and even our our best thoughts can be can be marred and can be off track, and we need God's word to refocus, to realign, to to be a check to us and, and to say, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're, you're moving way, way off in left field here. You need to, you need to get back straight. And God, that's what God's word does. It, it realigns us. It gives clarity. It guards us from sin. Uh, Psalm 119 verses 9 through 11 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Okay? Looking back at uh, John 15, verse 10, he said, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Right? When we hear commandments, we think about them a lot the same way we think about disciplines. Right? All right? We hear commandments, we, we think about the, you know, the law or what you know, the government says or, or whatever. And we think of them as oppressive rules set down by an evil dictator, all right? That's oftentimes the way we think of, of commandments. But God's commandments are actually for our good, right? Because of his character, because of who he is, that he is, is loving. He doesn't give us any commandment that is, that is for our harm. I am a sinful, jacked-up man, all right? I, I, am, I am prone to, to mess up and to screw up in, in a number of ways and, apart from God's grace, but as a parent, I never tell my girls to do things that are intentionally bad for them, all right? I, I, I never do that. Sometimes I might tell them, yeah, you can do that, and oh, I shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have let them do that. But in general, with, with foresight, I'm never telling them to do things that are intentionally wrong for them. When my girls are listening and obeying, we are in right relationship. All right? when, they're, when they're following daddy's dictates and daddy's commandments, then we are in right relationship, and we have a ton of fun. We have a lot of fun when that's the case. And we, you know, there's, there's no crying, there's no complaining. When, every, you know, when things are going daddy's way, then it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a ton of fun. So when they are not, life isn't so much fun. All right? When they're not following what daddy says, life isn't, isn't a lot of fun. Jesus says that when we are obeying his commandments, we will, uh, we will be able to live in freedom, abiding in his love. He says his commandments help us to abide in his love, help us to live out of the love that he has, has given to us. The seventh uh, point, seventh truth, is that meditation and memorization fuel the Holy Spirit's work of sanctification or making us like Christ um, in our life. Psalm 119.11 again says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, verses 47 and 48 of that same, uh, same psalm say, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, uh, yep, which I, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Meditation and memorization are, are an essential part of, of our spending time in God's Word. God's Word is, is, not, uh, is not like a novel. I, I read novels all the time, and I can, you know, finish one and turn it back in at the library, and I, you know, not really going to pick that one up again next week. 
uh, next month and probably next year. So, but, but God's word is, is different. It needs to be infiltrated into, into our lives. A friend of mine was uh, sharing uh, a little recipe the other day about, uh, about making hamburgers, and you're like, oh, everybody makes hamburgers. But he was talking about marinating hamburger meat in teriyaki sauce. And he's like, hamburger meat's all ground up. That stuff gets everywhere, and it's all in there. And you think about the, the best meals you've had. I bet somewhere in there somebody marinated something to make it, to make it taste better, right? Somebody throws a, a you know, piece of boneless, skinless chicken breast at, at you that they haven't done anything to you. Uh, yeah, give me the cardboard instead of the chicken. But if, but if it's been marinated, then it's infused, right? I know Rick used the same ana- analogy last week, but I'm, I'm using it too. Because it is, it is apt, and we need to remember that. We need God's word in our life. And so meditation, meaning going back over, remembering, thinking through, and memorization, making sure that, 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 we, that we memorize parts of Scripture and, you know, especially, um, you know, verses that, that are especially meaningful to us, verses that, that speak to certain needs in our life, those things help, and they, again, give the Spirit the sword to be able to use in our life, to be able to dissect, to be able to, to focus in on different things in our life. In John 14, 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit's job in the life of the believer is to, to bring back the words of Christ, to, to focus us in and, and to, to help us to understand and, and to know God's word. We, we need it in our life, right? And so after all this, you're sitting there, you still got the question, why is this important? Is it, is, it really when, is it really important that I spend time in God's word? Is it really important that I, that I put it into my life? And let me tell you about the last month and specifically the last week of mine and, and Jen's life, right? So baby number three is, is on the way, little bitty house, busting at the seams, and we're like, all right, we've got to sell this and buy another house that has some room. And so when grandparents come, they're not sleeping on the couch and the recliner like they have been for the past year. We, we, need, we need a little bit more space. And, and so we, we got our house on the market January 31st. And within four days, we had multiple offers. We accepted one, and boom, we're, we're moving on. At the end of that week, we, um, we came back here, and we, we started looking. We found a house. We put in an offer. It was accepted over the weekend. Monday morning, the, uh, the seller hadn't signed his, uh, his side of the paperwork, and he gets another offer, and, uh, and our offer is, is toast, and, and then we're sailing on. Yes. So, all right, that's just the first part of it. Okay, so, so then a couple more weeks, we're out of town. We have a couple of different conferences, one that Jen's leading, one that I had to go to, and we finally get back last Monday, and we go with our realtor, and we start looking at, at houses, and we're looking at houses, looking at houses, looking at houses. Finally, at the end of the day, a new house pops up that has the exact same floor plan as the house that we had originally placed our, our offer on that is actually listed for less money and has, you know, even, it's better lighted. It has better window placement and, and stuff, and so we're like, this is, this is so great, and so we get through kind of the day, and we're like, all right, we're, we're ready. I think we're ready to, to put in an offer, but the, uh, a, a critical point in the sell of our current house was coming up this, this week, and it was on, on Wednesday where the, um, the, the buyer had to put in their due diligence uh, money or earnest money. I get those terms confused all the time, but anyway, so they, they had this, this coming up, and, and Tuesday evening, as, as we're talking with our realtor on Tuesday afternoon and saying, yeah, I think we're ready to put in this offer. There's no way she's going to back out on, on buying our house. Tuesday at 5.30, we get the call. Your buyer has backed out of buying your house. Okay? All right? We had taken our girls to one house, only one house in this whole thing, and the house that we were about to put an offer in on, they finally get, you know, we're like getting excited about it, and then we're like, this thing, it may not happen this week. Right? Now, a critical thing is that the buyer, the original buyer for our house, lives two doors down from me. All right? We drive by their house every day. <laughs> I can see their backyard. I can see their house from my backyard. Okay? And so what thoughts start to pop into my mind? 
water balloon launcher with some dirty diapers, can hit the side of that house, you know, trash dumped out there, key and cars, just walking over and giving them a piece of my mind, all right? All of that. But in the midst of that, God is bringing his word to my heart. He is reminding me of himself and, and who he is. And so verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Okay, God, you know, you knew, you know what you're doing. And it doesn't matter what, what someone else does, you, you know, and you've got us. You're in control. You know what's going on. Verses like Psalm 20, verse, uh, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in houses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Actually, it doesn't say houses. It says <laughs> some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. But in that, in that moment, yeah, it doesn't matter where I live. The foxes, you know, have, have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The reminder that God is in control and that he is, is walking with us and that what it looks like to, to walk with Christ is to, to walk day by day, moment by moment, all right? Had I not spent time in God's word in times of calm, in seasons of, of plenty, then that wouldn't have been there to be used by the Spirit to remind me of God's character, to remind me of who he is. It is important that we spend time in God's word, and especially in, in, the, in the easy times. Now, when things, are, when things are going crazy, you don't usually have the time to, to go and see, what does God's word say about X? What does God's word say about this? When you get the diagnosis, when the phone call comes in the middle of the night, when your kid's laying sick in a hospital bed. Yeah, you, you still need to turn to, to God, and, it, and it's okay if in those moments you, you're still, I, I just need to open up God's word and see, and see what it says. But in those times, how great is it to, to have God's word already stored up, already meditated, already memorized in your, in your life so that he can use it, he can remind you of the truths of, of his word and who he is. I want to give you some practical steps. So you might say, how, how do I get started? How do I get started in spending time in God's word? The first thing is to ask God to open your eyes. Psalm 119 verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. Verse 34 says, Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. So he got it, the psalmist here, David, he's, he's saying, Hey, God, I need you to open my eyes. I need you to make it clear. The, God's word is revealing the immortal, unchangeable, infinite, almighty creator God. Who are we to think that we can understand it without his help? All right? We need to ask him for his help. Ask him to open our eyes. Ask him to, um, to, to do that. We, at, we also ask God to reveal himself as a spirit of truth. Uh, John 16, verse 13 says, When the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. God's Spirit is, is, is in your life, and you can rely on him, and you can say, Spirit, teach me. Show me. Show me what's true. Show me your, from your word the, the truth there. Oftentimes when people like, you, you kind of go out of church gung-ho, you're like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading my Bible and give me a, give me a one-year, you know, reading plan. And you jump in and you start in, start in Genesis and pretty soon you're bogged down in Numbers or Deuteronomy or somewhere. You're like, oh, uh, this, this is just not, not getting it. Don't, don't start there, all right? When you, if you go to the pool and you've never, never swam, you don't go off the high dive to start with, right? You wade in and you learn to swim to start with, learn to swim in, in, the, in the kiddie pool. Learn to swim in, uh, in places that they're easily read and easily understand. I usually suggest to start with the Gospel of John. We've read there. You know where it's at in your Bible if you've opened up there today. Start with the, the Gospel of John. John does a great job, and oftentimes he explains things that, that Jesus says, and so he's a, a great um, place to start. Um, so, so, yeah, you, you need to, to find a place to start 
read and reread, right? Don't, don't think you've got to read, you know, five chapters a day or, or even a chapter a day. I would even suggest maybe start small. Start with, with just a paragraph. Most Bibles these days are kind of broken down. They have little, uh, little um, you know, section headings. Just take a section or two uh, of Scripture and read it, reread it. Allow your, your mind to meditate on what God is saying there. Um, do an observation, interpretation, application. So we started in, uh, in John 15, and, and I, I pulled out a couple of observations of things that, that were there, things that were repeated, the, the vine and abide. Those are, are things that are like, okay, there's, it keeps repeating this. There's something that I'm supposed to get. So there's something I'm supposed to pick up on here. Do that. Look for, you know, for all the observations you can, you can make about a text. Most of the time we want to jump to the application. Well, how, what does this mean for my life? We haven't really done any, any study on it. So get a notepad, get a, a journal, make some observations there. And then from those observations, you look at, look for, all right, what, what does this mean? What's the interpretation? And so there are many observations that you can make on a passage of Scripture. There is one correct interpretation that, that will be true for, for all time and for, for all peoples from a, a passage. And, but then there are many different applications that can come out of, of that interpretation. So you want to do observation, interpretation, application as you're spending time in, in God's Word. So you, you do all the, you know, observe, all right, he uses this word, he says, says this. Um, you know, those, those types of things, but then, and then come down to, all right, what's the interpretation? What does this mean? And then how do I apply that to, to my life? It might apply in many different areas. Look for, is there a command to follow, a sin to confess, a promise to claim, an attribute of God to praise? So, so those, those things, a command, a, a, a sin, promise, an attribute. Choose a verse to meditate on um, and, and reread the verse several times before you complete your, your time with the Lord. Remember that spending time in, in God's word is about quality versus quantity, okay? There are a lot of folks who have read a lot of Bible and never got anything out of it. They didn't ever spend any time with God while they were reading their Bible, okay? I have been guilty of that too. A lot of times thinking, I've got to get through my, my reading plan or I've got to you know, do this, I gotta, you know, gotta bust this out, and so uh, I'm sitting there, but I'm, I'm distracted, or I'm, I'm trying to do it while the TV's on, or, or whatever. It's about spending time with God, right? Better is, is one, the, um, I'm not sure who said this, but better is, is one verse chewed well than a whole chapter swallowed whole, okay? Dig in and, and spend time and allow God to speak. Ask him to, to speak. Don't be surprised if he, um, he speaks to you and stops you at a, at a point before you get through what's your plan to, to read. Don't be surprised if he redirects you to, an, to another passage or brings something else to mind and says, go turn here, do this. The atmosphere matters as you spend time with God to find a quiet place somewhere that you won't be distracted. Keep a notepad there. I, oftentimes we'll think like, oh, I need to do this or I need to put the laundry in or I need to do what, whatever it is. Take, take, take a notepad, write down your to-do list, and, and I'll, but don't, you know, get up and, oh, let me just run and do this before I come back. You'll, you'll wear yourself out doing that, and it'll, it'll free you up to say, all right, I've got it written down. I don't have to think about that. I can focus on spending time with God. And oftentimes, some people might, the, the big thing within Christian circles is, oh, you got to get up first thing in the morning, got to get up at 5 a.m. And, and do your quiet time. That is great if that's the best time for you. If you are the most fresh and the most alert, and, and that's going to be the, the quietest time in your day, that is, that is great. When we have uh, a two-year-old and a four-year-old that can be up at any hour of the, of the night, 3 a.m. To, to 5 a.m. Or, uh, or whatever, then uh, that's, that's not really going to work. And so oftentimes for me, it's right, when is the first point in, in the day where I, I, can, I can be undistracted and, and spend time with the Lord? When I was a college student, I you know, was a chemistry major and I had classes from 8 a.m. You know, often a lot of those classes started really early, and so I wouldn't get up before those classes to, uh, to spend time with the Lord. But as soon as my classes were done and I hit the library and before I began studying, that first 30 minutes was time with the Lord. And so many times God repaid that time. And what I thought would take six hours to do only took three in terms of homework or stuff like that. And so God works and he gives back uh, over and above the, the time that, uh, that, we, that we do. You might even take to 
reading your Bible before you go to sleep. You know, how, how great to have to be meditating on God's word as you fall asleep, and that's what you're thinking through through the night watches. So those are, those are just some, um, some simple practical steps, and I want to uh, close this off here, and I want you to just take a, a few minutes, why don't you take a moment right where you're at to, to, to do business with God, to, to talk with him. If there's something that, that God has, has spoken to your heart, you know, if you're, if you're sitting here and you're like, all right, I know that I, I am not connected. I'm, I'm spiritually dead. I, I do not have Christ in my life. I have never been grafted into the vine, and I, and I don't know Christ. Right now, you might want to, to invite Christ into your life to, to say to him, Jesus, I, I, I confess that I am a sinner and that there's nothing good in me. There's nothing that I can do to, to bring myself to you, but I, I need you and I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins and to make me the kind of person that you want me to be. That might be something that you would like to do right now. You might be sitting here and going, I'm, I'm like that branch that's cut off. I'm doing everything on the outside to look real good, but I, I need to be grafted back in. I need to be put back into the vine and, and to allow Christ again to, to work in me. And so you'd say a similar prayer. God, I confess that I've been trying to do this on my own, that I've been, I've been trying to, to show myself to, to, be, to be worthy of your love, to earn your love rather than resting and abiding in your love. God, I confess that. I forsake it. I want to, again, be living out of your um, indwelling life and, and have you flow in me. That might be something that you'd like to do with the Lord right now. But as God speaks to you, would you take a moment right now and uh, just right there, bow your head, and, um, and then we'll, we'll close in just a sec. God, we thank you for the invitation to abide in you, to abide in your love. God, we, we pray, I pray over this congregation that, that we would, would walk with you, that we would follow along in the steps of Christ, doing the disciplines so that we experience more of who you are. God, would you reveal to us where, where we are at in terms of being connected to you, the true vine. Would you make that, that true to us and help us to see what it looks like to walk with you day by day, moment by moment, abiding in you and having your word abiding in us. And God, I pray now for, for folks here in, in this room, uh, or probably folks that have, that have made a significant decision about you and about their relationship with you. God, I, and we, we know that our decisions are, um, are personal, but they are, not, they are not private. They are meant to be lived out in community with one another. And so, God, I, I pray that right now in the life of each person that you would place another person in their, in their mind and on their heart that they need to share with about what you did in their heart this morning. God, would you, um, would you show them who that is? And Lord, we thank you for this church. We pray your blessings upon it and pray that you would be glorified and honored in Andrew and the surrounding community and throughout the world. In Christ's name, amen.